together and welcome Apostle Butch Ainsworth. Thank you. Thank you, Brad. Love you. Thank you. We're glory. How's everybody doing? Woo. It's good to see you. Thank you. Thank you. The, uh, you can have a seat. Thank you. When we first became spirit-filled, I was pastoring a denominational church in New Mexico, and uh, somebody started giving a testimony one day. They, they didn't believe in the current acting of Holy Spirit very much. <laughs> you know, except through the Bible. But anyway, so somebody's giving testimony one day about getting healed in their shoulder. And it was a wonderful story that uh, had happened in my ministry. And uh, you'd think everybody would be happy about that. And uh, that led to a testimony about an eye getting healed. And you'd think, of all people to be happy about that would be an eye doctor. Because he wants to fix people's eyes, right? <clears throat> and uh, so there was a closing prayer, and the eye doctor, rather than being excited about it, took his hymnal and threw it at me. <laughs> so if I flinched when that gentleman just wrote, <laughs> just came up here, I don't, I don't want you to think I'm offended or anything. I'm <laughs> I don't pray with my eyes closed anymore either. I'll just tell you that. <laughs> he missed. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. <laughs> Even a hymnal. I'm going to text my message to you. So if you want to, my number is 802. <laughs> Not really. I just want to be like Steve. <laughs> he is so tech savvy. And every new tech thing he tells me about will change my life. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to, you know, step into that. My son taught me how to turn my phone off. Because <laughs> I'd never, I'd, I'd just left it going, you know. And uh, I knew I could mash the button and the screen would go away, but I didn't know that I could just turn the whole thing off. So... I was standing here, and I had my phone with me, and I was standing here, and it started getting emails, and I thought, during the worship, I thought, well, I don't want to be distracted, so <clears throat> I started turning it off, and uh, I didn't have my glasses on, and two things came up, and one of them was red. I thought, well, that's probably end, because when I, when I make a phone call, the red button says end, and then all of a sudden, it said, calling 911. <laughs> So I put my glasses on and realized that I hadn't turned it off. I'd done an emergency phone call. So if some uniformed gentleman starts showing up, just tell him it was my bad. I wish I could say that was a joke. It's not. I, I really did that. That's how bad. That's how bad it is. But I do make, I, I can make phone calls with my phone. <laughs> Glory. As evidenced by that, yeah. So. Oh, it's really good to be here with you. You know, I always love your worship. 
You're, uh, you're like my house. We, we always bring it. Every, every time. I mean, every time I'm with you guys, you bring it. You know, there's no, there's no uh, shadow of disingenuity. You just, you bring it. You're awesome. You are who you say you are. And we are who we say we are. And, uh, you know, so I delight in that. It's always good. It's always wonderful. And, and we're that way, too. You know, every time uh, my worship guy, Jeremy, steps up, he's a prophet. Every time he steps up and opens the heavens up, you know, and uh, opens the, the realms of the spirit up, we, we just go in. And it's delightful to us. And you're that way, too. Not every place is. I understand that. But I love it. I love it with you guys. And it's, uh, it's real. Amen. Don't shout me down. Don't run at me either. No, you can run at me. I'm on it now. I'm on my toes. <laughs> you, won't, you won't fool me this time. I mean. Now I might get offended if you don't come up. Since I know that's what you do. Just come on. Strike hands. Glory. There's a little slick right there. That's good. If I start looking like I'm moonwalking. Be like... That guy's hipper than he looks. <laughs> Amen. The, uh, it's just an honor to be back with you guys. I shouldn't say just, that's a religious word. It's an honor to be back with you again and uh, to be with Steve and Kim, your senior ministry couple, and uh, to be with y'all. We have known each other a long time. Wonderful things that we have seen and done and experienced together. And I've told you those stories of our, uh, especially at the time where we were both being raised up under Apostle Ball and kind of shouldered the load together and comforted each other when we needed comfort. (laughs) Encouraged each other when correction had been brought. And You know, Steve will never admit it, but he was always Apostle Ball's favorite. He was the favorite son, and uh, I was good for me just to be able to bask in the glory of it, <laughs> just to get close to the fire enough to be warmed by it, and uh, it's always meant a lot to me, and it still does. No, that's funny, you know, and relationships are funny. Rel- relationships are living things, and uh we get in trouble when we try to make it uh, canned, just like we're talking about with our worship, right? We, we, we get in trouble when we try to turn it into something that's canned, something that's, that's routine or that's rote. Uh, relationships are living things, dynamic. The day may come with my wife, who sends her love, by the way, she and Cameron. Uh, Cameron is at grad school at Regent University, and Lisa is visiting with him. I dropped her off there, and they send their love in regard. Uh, so the day will come, I believe, when Lisa and I will be in our 80s and married together. Uh, and uh, even then, that will represent many years of marriage, but we will never have been 80 years old octogenarians married together before. And so you get in trouble when you turn it into a routine thing, when it becomes down pat and when you uh, start getting to the point where you don't allow this thing that is alive to be constantly changing. And, uh, because you're constantly changing. And uh, it's glory. You know, Yahweh, he, he does not change, but the way that he deals with us 
obviously does change somewhat, not that his character does, but the way that he deals with us changes because of our maturity level. There's things that, that uh, conversations I have with my son now that I couldn't have had back in the day. Um, I remember when he was two years old, he's watching now, so I'm sure he loves the story, but uh, when he was two years old, he got into our truck, which was at, uh, Little Blue is what I called it at the time, Little Mazda pickup, beautiful thing, and uh, he got into it, and uh, I put him in the car seat and things, and I was getting ready to start it up, and he said, no, this time, literally, this was the word, said, no, this time, I'm going to be behind the steering wheel, And he meant it. In his mind, he, th- he felt like at two years old he could do that. Didn't take like, didn't seem like it was all that much. But I would have been an irresponsible father to let him, <laughs> to let him take it. So, well, all right, son, we'll take it for a spin. <laughs> uh, that, would, that would have been, see, but, but obviously the day came when I could say, son, go get this for me, you know. Go down to the store, please. And, and it's, it's that way with Yahweh. He wants to help us and to help us in a way that brings us to a place of maturity. I live for the promise of, that Yahweh has made concerning his mature church. I live, I work towards, I look forward to everything that Yahweh has promised concerning his mature church Everything that will happen to his mature church in Christ. Uh, and, and I've sadly seen very little of it. But I'm expecting toward it. I've come to the place where I, I believe several things. One is that um, individual expression is overrated. And... That image is a very poor substitute for substance. Individual expression is overrated, overrated, and image is a very poor substitute for substance. There are things, I believe, that are set aside for the church that very few have ever come near towards. And yet it's there for somebody. And a lot of the things that we look forward to, a lot of the things that we talk about, will be held up until the people decide to become mature. And the people becoming mature means that they're going to become the real thing. And when we become the real thing as leaders, as you have in this house, when you have become the real thing as leaders, then your people have the opportunity to become the real thing. Because it's hard for people to go anywhere that their leader won't go. And a lot of the church world wants to, I'm, I'm Apostle, uh, Pastor uh, Steve. <laughs> Steve. Ask me what scripture, if there's any scripture I wanted to give to make it easier, you know, for the, for the folks to put it up here and stuff like that. And, and uh, I, I said, I'm not sure which scripture I want to give yet. Because the message that I have is, I'm sure, scriptural. And there's things that I will say, but 
<laughs> but I, I'm not sure exactly which thing he's going to lead me towards, because what I'm really going to do is to recruit you guys, to recruit you guys into maturity. I'm not saying you're immature. I'm just saying I'm recruiting you into maturity. Because the scripture says, if the spirit of the one who raised Christ from the dead dwells in us, he will also give life to our mortal body. That means our mortal body, as we become mature, is going to change. And I don't mean get decrepit. I mean it's going to change. The word of the Lord, the power of the Holy Ghost in us is going to begin to change us until there's a generation that puts death to death. Well, I don't believe that. Well, then believe your Bible. Read your Bible. It says it'll give life to our mortal body. Not our immortal body. This isn't talking about heaven. It's talking about heaven on earth. It's talking about heaven on earth. Which, by the way, we have been commissioned to bring heaven to earth. So I said, well, I'm looking forward to going to heaven. You're a liar. Do you know why? Because as soon as we get sick, we run to a doctor. We go get some medicine. We want to live, right? Why do we want to live? Because God put it in us to live. As a matter of fact, he wants us to be possessors of heaven while we're on the earth. Possessors of heaven and earth. So we become that access point. Even as Yeshua was that access point of heaven and earth. Heaven and earth combined. Striking hands. Striking hands together. Heaven and earth in us. Here's a, here's a good one for you. Ready? John wrote in his letters, and he makes this statement. As he, meaning Yeshua, is, present tense, so are we in the earth. Okay. As he is, so are we in the earth. He didn't say as he was. So now, every time I think of that, it takes me back to all of my church days growing up. I grew up in the church, and I bless those people that uh, did good things for me to tell me about the story of salvation, to tell me about the story of Yeshua, and uh, they called him Jesus at the time, which is fine, but they, they told me about those stories, and I, I was really good at sword drills. A sword drill is, I was a pastor's kid, and so I was really good at the sword drills. A sword drill is when some of your Bible is closed. And somebody tells you to turn in your Bible, and everybody gets the same scripture. And the first one to go to that scripture wins. I don't think I was undefeated, but I was, I was up there. I was good. 
And so I'm grateful for the people that taught me stuff and taught me the story of Christ. And, you know, and so I followed the pattern of a lot of the things that were sort of expected as a kid um, and the church. I loved the Lord, got baptized when I was uh, 10 years old in fifth grade. And uh, I was sincere. I loved God and uh, wanted to pursue him. I wasn't lying when I said that. My dad would uh, do that thing from the time I was very little. He'd do that thing. All right, at the end of the service, he would say, every head bowed, every eye closed. I don't want to embarrass anyone. But if anybody today would like to say that you would like to give your life to Jesus, I'd like you to just lift up your hand. I was five years old every time my hand went up. It's to the point that my dad would, I heard one time I heard him laughing. Because he could always count on having one. <laughs> and some of those guys will trick you too. They was all right, nobody's looking, but you stand up right now. Everybody, every head's bowed, every eye's closed. But you, if you made that statement, would you stand up right now? All right, now everybody open up your eyes. And you're just... <laughs> they fooled you. All right, now would you come up? Well, you might as well come up because everybody sees it anyway. You're standing. Every time I'd raise my hand. Why? Because I was serious about it. And then when I became a teenager, I rebelled because that was what we all did. Because I didn't know anything better. But that way I could go to summer camp and rededicate my life. <laughs> that was important because then you could have something to tell everybody when you gave a testimony. The, uh, yeah, well, you know, I been doing a lot of bad things this year, but I just want to get straight now, and since we're all here, I'd like to confess my sins to tell you how cool I am. I became, I be, went to Bible college, and at that point, um, I, one of the main reasons I went was I figured I need to get my life in order, you know, that's what I thought. And became a pastor of a church, and eventually I was up in Minnesota, and Minnesota is where I started getting really hungry for, for God. Like, not to just know about him or to believe in him, because I already did those things, but I wanted, I wanted to know him experientially. And so I began to say something, kind of like a little, uh, uh, little theme that I began to say. I'd say, if anybody has ever walked this earth and has known God, it's going to be me. It didn't mean nobody else could. I just was starting to say, if anybody's ever walked this earth and known God, it's going to be me. So all of the stories about as, as he was were pretty, pretty uh, challenging to me because I believed in him. And uh, I remember at the time that I really began to make major changes, I was preaching through the book of Acts, an expository series through the book of Acts. And as I was preaching through the book of Acts, this expository series, I began to see what the lives of the apostles were like. And then I began to see what my life was like. And there's a discrepancy. And all of a sudden, scripture that you know starts challenging you. One of the scriptures that I knew that started challenging me is when at the beginning of the book of Revelation, uh, John writes, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. right? 
I had theology that said Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And I had a theology that said the Holy Spirit lived in me. But experientially, I could never say anything like, well, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. And then if you are reading, a couple of verses later, it's going to say, uh, it's going to say, uh, and immediately after an invitation from an angel, I was in the Spirit. And I'm thinking, wait a second, you are in the Spirit already. Exactly. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, and he's having a vision, and immediately he's in the Spirit. He never came out of the Spirit, he just went deeper. Whoever turned this thing into something boring, whoever told us that it had to be a boring thing, and that it's, it's something that just gets us to a place where everything is just down pat and understood... I'm telling you, this thing is deep. There are realms. There are heavens. There are realms to search out, to go beyond, and to search out a place of maturity. To search out a place of maturity. Hallelujah. See, you're not going to fool me on that one. I'm adjusting very quickly. And so one of the things that challenges, at least it challenges me, is... Uh, not so much anymore, but it did when I first began to think about it. As he is, John writes, so are we in the earth. Not as he was. The Sunday school taught me to be like him. Now, this was the days before everybody had those bracelets that said, what would Jesus do? You know, which was a fad for a while there. Uh, one of the things that Jesus would do is never wear a bracelet saying, what would Jesus do? <laughs> it's like... What would a husband do? Huh? Let me think. As he is, so are we near. It doesn't say as he was. It says as he is. Well, let's talk about as he is. He is glorified. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. And so we need to come to the place where we have an understanding that we are joined not just to Yeshua or Jesus of Galilee who walked the earth. We are joined to the glorified Christ, and we must begin to have a picture of the glorified Christ, because that is where our current identity is. Now, as he was in the earth, was fabulous. But the apostle Paul, writing to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians 5, said, we once knew him that way, but now we don't know him that way any longer. Talking about the mature church. Coming to a place of maturity. Whereas he is the glorified Christ. Our identity uh, is that way in the earth. Hallelujah. And so I spent a lot of my life. Especially when I got excited about the Lord. I spent a lot of my life wanting to be as he was. When he walked the earth. And obviously that was pretty good. But I'll remind you of something. When he's hanging on the cross. He made this statement. He said, it is finished. It is finished. It's done. So that basically means he doesn't need me to be in the earth as he was because he did that. It's done. It's done. He wants me to be as he is. And he is the glorified Christ. 
So could it be, and I say this in a hypothetical way, but I believe it's true. This is called preaching. I'm saying it in a hypothetical way. (laughs) Hypothetically speaking, could it be that we have not achieved a lot of the goals and the manifestations of the mature church because we have set a standard on something that is not meant to be our standards. Though he walked the earth and was awesome. But Paul makes it clear. We don't know him that way any longer. He says that right after he makes this statement. It's in 2 Corinthians 5. He makes this statement. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Subjunctive subjunctive text, if. If any man is in Christ. In Christ means that you've given your life to the Lord. The Holy Spirit is in you. You're in him. He's in you. You've been baptized in him. You're one with him. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, we say that scripture... A lot of times when what we really are doing and meaning is that we are wanting to deal with our sin consciousness. Most, I, I, I'm not going to be in every church, obviously, but most churches today, uh, sooner or later, the pastor is going to be talking about sin. And I realized that we're talking to a lot of people and uh, 11,000 or so people across the world that may be tuning in. And so if you are not in Christ today, if you've never given your life to the Lord, you've never invited him to forgive uh, your sins and you never asked his spirit to come in and dwell you, you need to deal with sin because sin is on your plate. It's on your head and you're guilty. But if you have given your life to Yeshua If you have given your life to Yeshua, you really don't need me to preach about sin very much. And yet probably, probably 98% of preaching today is going to be about sin. You sinners. You know, sinners. There was a woman who came to my church for a little bit, and she'd come from another church and, uh, that had the name Victory in it. I say that just because it was sort of... Um, Ironic. Because <laughs> everybody, everybody that ever came to our church and visited or anything like that, who had come from that church that had the name Victory in it, all were full of condemnation. You ever... Uh, you probably don't want to raise your hands on this one because someone might be looking around. <laughs> you ever uh, remember the old Monty Python, the Holy Grail? Uh, oh, yes. Just don't raise your hand. Just, <laughs> <laughs> just nod quietly to yourself. <laughs> the Lord knows and he sees you. <laughs> so with every head bowed and every eyes closed. Well, there's one particular scene in that movie that, you know, and it's an irreverent 
movie, obviously, and uh, not a Christian movie by any stretch. Um, it's an irreverent movie, and when you reach the age of 15, it stops being a good movie. But until you're like ages 13, 14, 15, you're like, that is the best movie that anybody's ever made. Monty Python, Holy Grail. But there's one particular scene where they have a visage of a cartoon picture that they say is God, the Father, like Yahweh, and he shows up. And immediately they all fall to their knees. And unworthy, 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 unworthy. Which we are apart from Christ, right? But unworthy, unworthy, unworthy. And the figure in that movie says, stop groveling. Stop groveling. Now, if you're unsaved, you don't need to grovel. You just need to get saved. Receive it, right? Receive it. And if you're receiving it, then receive the real thing. Don't just receive a, this thing where you feel better for a little while. and say, Receive it. There's a whole new world, a world that's open to you. You can become a brand new creation. Things that were not possible have now become possible because you have become something in this world that is not limited to this world. You are of heaven in this world. Hallelujah. And so, so much of the, of the preaching of churches is about sin. Sin, 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 sin. All right, I'm going to turn to the Bible. Hebrews chapter 10. <laughs> I, I know now the first scripture. Steve, the first scripture is Hebrews chapter 10. <laughs> I love the book of Hebrews. If I didn't have any other book of the Bible, I would love the, I just have the book of Hebrews. I was preaching, by the way, through the book of Hebrews, because it's always been my, that's just like my favorite book in the Bible, and I was preaching my book, the book from the book of Hebrews. And I was, as I was preaching it, I got to chapter 5 and 6, and the uh, Holy Spirit said, well, you can't go any further. Because I had gotten to the place where I was talking about the Melchizedek anointing. And he said, you can't go any further. Your people, your people aren't ready for it. And then a little while later, after I'm reading it, it says that we should be teachers, but we're not teachers. Yeah. At least the Hebrews weren't. And we all believe Paul wrote this, but he didn't tell anybody it was him. Because the Hebrew people didn't like him very much at that time. So, but we all believe that it was, I shouldn't say we all, but most people believe that he's the one that wrote this book. Uh, but the Hebrews couldn't stand him, so he didn't identify himself. But it begins to talk about leaving some things behind. And the things that it talks about leaving behind are things that are pretty cool to me. Doctrines of baptisms, raising the dead, laying on of hands, you know, things that uh, at once were, when I first became spirit empowered, were like, that's my striving point, right? Man, that's, that's what I would love to see. And, and then it goes on and says, it's impossible for people who have once tasted of the heavenly gift 
and who have um, participated in the age to come, which by the way, when you have eternal life, that's ionios in the Greek, and what it means is the age to come. We have taken it to say it means just living forever, and it does have that connotation, but what eternal means, it's I, the, word, the Greek word is ionios, it means of the age to come. So if you are truly saved and you have truly eternal life, you have age to come life now. You are registered in the age to come now. And the ramifications of that are many and are awesome but it takes faith, right? Faith comes from a hearing. We have to hear that. We have to rehearse that, or we should. Because as we rehearse it, then faith comes from hearing. We begin to look for things that are uh, outside of the ordinary. I think Steve said that at the beginning. We begin to look for things that are outside of the ordinary expectation of church people. And so we get to Hebrews chapter, well, I'll just finish this. So he said, you need to stop. I said, why can't I stop? He said, because it's going to, and I read it, it says, it is impossible for people who have participated in the age to come and who have become of that, it's impossible if they fall back into the cycles of failure which most of the church world will do at some point because we are so caught up in the law of sin and death, which is we, do, we better behave. Or, mm. He said, it's impossible for them to be brought back. And so he said, you, I, I'm stopping you. And right about that time, we had, within a couple of months, we had um, probably five families that left. And... It was important that I not bring them someplace that they could not stay. Because he always merciful, right? He's merciful. He's, mer- he's not willing that any should perish. So that taught me something. Yahweh is merciful all the time. And even something that I might see as ugly or I might see as painful, you know, because the type of churches we are, I, they don't just leave this church, they leave me. The kingdom church has a face and a voice. If somebody leaves, they turn up their heel. They're not just leaving the church, they're leaving me. And at that time, those people that left, I could not usher them in someplace. And so for their own safety, they left. For their own safety, they left. Quit getting mad at everybody, you know, and just say, look, y'all was taking care of them. Because he loves them more than I do, and I loved every last one of them. Yet, I am not going to stop. And that's what makes a kingdom minister and a kingdom house different than a non-kingdom one. We're not stopping. How could we? How can we stop? How can we stop? I have tasted of the age to come. I have participated in the Holy Ghost. How could I stop? How could I ever say to anybody, all right, that's enough. You've plumbed the depths of salvation. Well done, you. (laughs) You haven't plumbed the depths. There's heavens to search out. 
there's realms of the spirit. There's realms of the spirit that have become open to us. There's realms of the spirit that have become open to us. I wasn't afraid of you. I just didn't see you. Okay. How we can. There's realms of the spirit that have become open to us. That's why a lot of people don't want to pray, right? They're like, well, it's kind of boring. It is if you, unless you're as Christ is, glorified in the earth. Then your posture is different, isn't it? Christ's posture is different. What's he doing? He's, he's, he's calling the shots. The Bible says interceding. He's interceding for us. That's, that means calling the shots. And as he is, so are we. This is what I was talking to you about this thing about the council. I think that's why there's such a hullabaloo and, and brouhaha about apostles' sons. Because if a, a council could be formed, it's going to change the earth. And I can't say that everybody's going to. I'm just saying that some will. I will. I'll come down and strike your hand. When, when, when it's open to us to come to a place where we literally, as he is, so are we in the earth, that he's calling shots, we're sitting with him calling shots. I get so, ti- I get so tired of like COVID hit. Like, and everybody's like, oh, COVID, this is really terrifying. And oh, everybody's scared about it. And, you know, I, you know, obviously it's real. I never thought it wasn't real. Um, I just, it just bothered me. First of all, it bothered me that they said I wasn't essential up in Vermont. <laughs> up in Vermont, they said I wasn't essential. I'm like, I beg to differ. <laughs> I'm very essential. And so we all had to try to figure out how we we're going to do it. And we, uh, I never made people mask. I never made, I, I limited to heads of household for a little bit until I figured out what was going on. Then came the day I said, anybody wants to come on, come on back. Come on in. Hallelujah. I locked the front doors just in case there's some trouble, you know, because it's Vermont. Vermont's very uh, interesting. And so I, I said, so I locked the door like um, once everybody was in. And that was kind of cool, too. Because then I could laugh at anybody who came late. <laughs> Through the glass doors. Figure it out. Next week, be on time. <laughs> and, uh, and 
so this time of famine, it was a time of famine, right? And ever, the world's like famine, 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 and my people were prospered. I mean, everybody was like, this, it's famine in the land, it's famine in the land, famine in the land. I, like Isaac, he said, the man began to, he sowed in the land of famine. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in that same year, he reaped a hundredfold. <laughs> in that same year, he reaped a hundredfold. The man began to prosper and continued prospering until he became very prosperous. That's what your Bible says. The man began to prosper and continued to prosper until he began. When? When? In the year of famine. Where? In the land of famine. But for him it wasn't a land of famine. So, so our offering, tithing offering, went up like, uh, like 50%, I think. In 2019, it went up in 2020 like another 20% of that. Hallelujah. And I, I said, and, and people took me at my word. They started recording all of the blessings that came during that time. Mortgages paid off. Um, uh, credit cards paid off. I, we have a bell that we, it's a Jubilee bell like that, that they have in the parkway there. Not, well, on the South Shore there, Jubilee Park, Jubilee Bay in Mobile. We have a bell. And anytime somebody gets out of debt, they come up and ring it. And we all yell, Jubilee! Jubilee. Mm. Which I'll just say this. If you haven't recognized it, I'll tell you, in the spirit, it's Jubilee. For the kingdom houses, it's Jubilee. Remember that little song that you wrote? This is our year of Jubilee. And we all sang it. I, I keep thinking about that. This is our year of Jubilee. Uh, in our house, it's been Jubilee. It's been Jubilee. The nation of Israel... Every 50 years, they were supposed to have Jubilee. All the land went back to its original owner, and uh, debts were canceled, etc. Cetera, et cetera. And uh, my understanding is they never walked righteously enough to, um, to make it into the year of Jubilee. I believe that's what Hebrews 4 talks about. Theologians have puzzled over that one for years. But when it's talking about their, the rest set aside for the, the Hebrews, the, the rest set aside for the children of Israel, uh, and said there remains a rest because they never entered into the rest. I believe that's talking about Jubilee. They never really entered into Jubilee. And uh, so it says there remains, therefore, a rest. And that's set aside for somebody. Set aside for you. Set aside for us. And if you realize, if you realize that as he is, so are you, then you can enter into this land of Jubilee. And you can begin to walk in it. And, you have, and when you do that, your elevation, your expectations are elevated. You begin to walk in it. And you stop thinking of cycles. You stop thinking of trouble. You stop thinking of all of your sinful ways. In the church where I was pastoring in, in Clovis, which is wonderful people. I mean, salt of the earth are farmers and ranchers. They're just fabulous folks, uh, not spirit-empowered people. And so the tradition was when it was communion time, when we did the cups of juice and, and the little crackers and stuff. By the way, I, my dad pastored a church in Rochester, New Hampshire, and they had the most tasty communion bread. It was a homemade recipe, and it tastes better than Ritz crackers. And when they had choir practice on Sunday nights after church, man, I was into that stuff. 
We were stealing the body of Christ on a regular basis. <laughs> that stuff was good. Jubilee. So we've entered into a time of jubilee. And it's, I don't think it's something that we're supposed to get out of. Registered up here in heaven. I haven't forgot about Hebrews 10. I'm going to get, we're going to get there. I asked, I asked Steve if he knew, it's kind of an old song. It's not like a real old one, like a hymn, but it's, which I like hymns, by the way. I'm not making fun of them. I sing hymns to myself. And some, every now and then we'll take one out and uh, do it in the church. And a lot of those sound really good when you put drums and Jeremy does the electric guitar thing. We do a version of Be Thou My Vision that will make you weep. <laughs> well, I, don't, I don't believe that. I'm just saying. You'll be singing, be that my vision. <laughs> this is a song, <clears throat> I think it was written by a group, well, it was by a group, but it was originally done by a group, I think they were called Glad back in the days when I was in college. Y'all know about them? You're better than me because I don't, I just know that they did this one song. In the, the song is called Be Glad. In these days, of confused situations in these nights of restless remorse when the heart and the soul of a nation lay wounded and cold as a corpse from the grave of the innocent Adam comes a song bringing joy to the sad oh your cry has been heard and the ransom has been paid up in full. Be ye glad. And the chorus says, Be ye glad, oh, be ye glad. Every debt that you ever had. Be ye glad, be ye glad. Every debt that you've ever had has been paid up in full by the grace of Yahweh. Be ye glad, be ye glad, be ye glad. And then it says, and this is the part that really starts stirring me up. Now from your dungeon, a rumor is stirring. Though you have heard it again and again. And that's the problem with the Christian church is we've heard so much that we've lost the ability to create a knowing and a desire in us. Now from your dungeon, a rumor is stirring. Though you have heard it again and again. But this time. The cell keys are turning. And outside, there are faces of friends. And though your body lay weary from wasting and your eyes show the sorrow they've had, the love that your heart is now tasting has opened the gates. Be glad. And then there, here's the part. So be like lights on the rim of the water giving hope in a storm sea of night. Be a refuge amidst the slaughter of these fugitives in their flight. For you 
are timeless. <laughs> and you're part of a puzzle. You are winsome and young. You're refreshed, in other words, as a lad. And there is no disease or no struggle that can pull you from Yahweh. Be glad. Hallelujah. As he is, so are we in the earth. As he is, so are we. And I'm telling you, there are people and here in Central Florida and China, Taiwan, there are people that need somebody to get into this place and be like a light on the edge of the water. Be a refuge. See, what Yahweh wants to do with you as he is, so are you. In the earth, he wants you to become a place of safety and a demonstration on a continual basis of Ionios, of the age to come, so that people can say, I have been afraid, but I have seen a place of safety. And that's where I'm going. That's where I'll be. That's where I'll be. You have... You have, kingdom people have, such a responsibility to overcome and to such a responsibility to prevail. That's right. That's right. And so we're singing that song, and, and I'd asked Jeremy to do it, uh, that one, you know, probably familiar with you. There are songs that he'll sing, and most of the time the song that he's singing, you know, it's one that's in my spirit too, but he's already chosen it. And then there's a time where he'll look at me, and if I'm ready to get up there, I'll do it, or um, it's kind of like here. I mean, you never know. I might get up and sing with him, and then they'll hope I don't, and <laughs> not with here. Here, you like it when he does, but when I do it, they don't, but uh, anyway, so I will say, I clarify that. I just want to give a little clarity. I'm talking about myself, and, I, and uh, so there comes that time, right, where he looks at me, and, I, and so I just said to him, I want you to be ye glad, and so he did be glad, and it does the thing. It shows up like on the words, show up on our screens. And say, be glad, be glad, every debt that you ever had. <laughs> every debt that you've ever had. See, two trees in the garden, tree of life, tree of knowledge of good and evil. Get into Romans 8, we find out that there's, there's the law of sin and death, and then there's law of life in Christ. Most of Christianity is stuck in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, just they're trying to get on the good side, uh, but it's still the wrong tree. It's religion. Or they are, or they are in uh, the law of sin and death. And so everything is about performance, whether or not we do it enough, whether or not we achieve enough, whether or not we do all these things, instead of recognizing you have become something different. You can't lose. You can lose. Hallelujah. You can lose. You can lose. I was driving down the road yesterday. I had left my Bible at home. What kind of preacher leaves his Bible at home? This one. But it's all right because I needed a new one anyway, so... I went and got one in Barnes and Noble. And so I was driving back and I saw a sign, you know, light up, one of these light up billboards that nobody has, but y'all do. And uh, 
the land of Mickey Mouse has made wonderful things possible. <laughs> Prosperity, resource, and trouble. But anyway, uh, so I see this sign, and it's obviously a church sign of some sort, uh, or a collection of churches, and it says, God's not mad. And it's the Grace Church, right? And then, or Grace Churches or something like that. I don't know. And uh, so I'm looking at that, and I'm like, well, sometimes he is. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and I, it's, just, it's just one more thing. People that don't know God, and they're trying to come up with something to to present to the world that they think will be appealing when the real thing is you need to just know him and show him. You don't need to come up with some slogan like you're apologizing for God that's saying he's not mad. A lot of times he is mad. Matter of fact, he's probably mad at that sign. (laughs) He's probably like, who put that up there? I didn't tell him to do it. <laughs> Represent me that way? That's wrong. Behold both the goodness and the severity of Yahweh. How can you do that if he's not mad? Sometimes he's mad. <laughs> I got people mad at me one time because I was talking about the Catholic Church and the statues where Yeshua is outside of it. And he's going like this. <laughs> <laughs> You're a hot group. Come on. Go on. I can talk about something. <laughs> Woo. When it's really cooking at home, I'm like, I want somebody to reach out their hand and say, heaven yes and hell no, please. <laughs> I saw y'all had it on a t-shirt. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> no, because there's so much stuff that they've convoluted. I think Yeshua's like, Whatever. Hard to figure that one out. Even for him, he's like. I preached that and somebody got mad. I punched him right in the nose. No, I didn't, but I wanted to. No, I probably hugged their neck and something sweet, you know. So, well, glory. I certainly hope I didn't offend you. All the debts that we ever had have been paid up in full. So that means, that means obviously, we monetary debt, right? And uh, <clears throat> if, you, if you can believe, even if in the natural you have debt, that in Yahweh's eyes you don't, then you can begin to make decisions that are based on uh, being wise, with somebody who's wise with money, and not somebody that is, um, has money weighing down on them. And you can begin to invest money. You can begin to do wise things with money, even if the investment is to pay off a high percentage uh, credit card or whatever. You, you won't see it just as trying to get out and trying to escape. You'll see it as investing. You're, gonna, you're building something. You're building something. And you'll have that, ex- that excitement. And so that's the obvious thing. Every debt that we've ever had, and we ring the Jubilee bell, and everybody goes, Jubilee, Jubilee, Jubilee. And now we've entered into a season of Jubilee. But part of the Jubilee is this. Relational debt. 
all of a sudden, you're going to start realizing that, that things that, because of the law of sin and death, that you have done because of guilt and because of somebody else's expectation and because of you're afraid to offend somebody, you're afraid to offend grandma, mama, whichever one, that you no longer have to make your decisions based on an ill-conceived concept of relational debt. You're probably there. I don't know if you remember it. At the time, uh, Apostle Paul made a statement. Every time that Steve says something, it's like gold dripping out of his mouth. (laughs) I pay attention to everything. That's not always reciprocated. (laughs) Because I could even be at one different hotel. Sending texts, thank you for the beautiful room and for the basket of goodies that you, they're so beautiful. (laughs) See, I'm giving a good example of relational debt right there, see? (laughs) How many things do you do because you want to? How many things do you do because you feel like you're obligated to do it? Woo, do you love me? I love you. How many things do you do because you are feeling obligated to do it? There won't be any life in it. So Apostle Paul said this. He said, he was talking, I think, to both of us, uh, several of us. He said, I need to go to Baymanet to do some work on my mother's house. He said, and then like he was saying, I need to go to Baymanet to my mother's house. And then he said, no, I I didn't say that right. He said, I don't want to do it because I feel like I need to. And he corrected himself. He's like 70-something years old. I want to go to Baymanet to do some work at my mother's house before winter. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> Glory. Glory. Glory, by the way, if I say glory, I'm not just saying a religious thing that is a, a substitute for cussing. I'm saying, <laughs> I'm, I'm saying glory is the ability to accurately demonstrate Yahweh in the earth. And so when, when that happens, I'm saying glory. I'm striking hands with you because heaven and earth are green. And we're striking hands and we're saying, we're saying glory because that means that, that at that point, we're accurately demonstrating Yahweh in the earth. He said... I, so he changed it. He changed it. And I've never forgotten that, which, of course, that's why he, was, he did it, obviously, because uh, he wanted to be correct within himself. But he also wanted to teach us. <clears throat> he, he taught in everything that he had ever did. He was always teaching. And so the, it changed me. And this is the part that this, I, you don't have any hymnals. All right. And, and your Bibles are on your phones. You really have no ammunition right now. And you paid too much for that phone. You're not going to throw that at me. Frisbee that bad boy. (laughs) 
All right, so I'm going to back into this by saying, and I haven't forgotten about Hebrews 10. I'm going to back into this by saying this. You can finish, you fill in the blank, right? Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. liberty. He that the Son sets free is free indeed. indeed. There's liberty, and you're free indeed. What if we, what if in this whole process of no longer being the way that we were, led by the law of sin and death and sin consciousness, what if we become emancipated to the point where as he is, so are we, therefore, sitting in the seat of glory and authority, we enter into a new realm where we don't do things based on guilt or trying to make him happy when he is already happy. Through Christ. And now we've been set free from performance anxiety and trying to please and thinking of him as this God who's always mad and we're not groveling like Marty Python. Marty Python says, we're not gro- groveling anymore, which I don't think he enjoys. Right. Right. Yahweh was in the one son bringing many sons to glory. Yes. Yes. He was in the one son bringing many sons to glory. Yeah. He was bringing you to glory, the ability to accurately demonstrate him in the earth. And you cannot demonstrate him with a sense of guilt. Perfect love casts out fear. Why? Because fear involves a sense of punishment. And if you are in Christ, he has removed that sense of punishment from you. So now you are free to do what you do based on love based on appreciation, based on honor, and a desire to obey. Well, see what? See, Yahweh inhabits that. He inhabits that. He works through that. He stimulates faith through that. That's the atmosphere in which, in, in which true maturity is going to happen. Think about it with your kids, right? All of a sudden, and I hope this happened for you, but when your kid goes from being fearful only of you, I mean, they need to always honor, right? But fearful to the place where they have a sense of you and the sense of what you do for them and a sense of the way that you love them and they honor you. Hallelujah. And, and even if they were afraid at one point, now, now they've crossed over to a place where they just have this appreciation. Because you've laid down your life for them. And, you, and you're not guilty. And so there are so many people that do what they do based on guilt. And it's always, I should do. Well, I guess I should. Well, I and it's never, this is in me to do because I want to. This is something that I desire to do. And so what we have done is we have robbed, we have removed from people the ability to respond based on, on obedience and desire. And that's even in the church, right? You're trying to get, people try to get a specific response in church. And, and so is it any wonder that, uh, that sometimes churches fake it, that sometimes churches do all these various things? It's, that's why it's not true here. It's not true of my house. Why? We love it. 
It's the opportunity. Why would we, why would we not? When he's, when he's made such a way for us. So this is the thing. I don't want you to throw your books at me, but you don't have any, so it's okay. If we are free from doing what we do out of a sense of debt, if we are free from doing what we do out of a sense of debt, then we really can enter Jubilee, and it will even affect the way that we deal with Yahweh. Because Yahweh has freed you in Christ. This is, don't get mad. Listen, just listen. He has freed you in Christ to the point where you don't owe him anything. Good, good, good. Now, now, the truth is, right, he, he's made a way for us, right? And we are thankful. We are thankful. But you will not cuddle up. You will not cuddle up. You will not turn with a loving sense of expectation. You won't want to be in the presence of one that you think you owe money to. How many of you want to spend a lot of time with your mortgage broker? When... When you understand what Yahweh has done through Christ and he has removed the indictment that was against you and he has removed you from relational debt even with him, you have become a new creation. Behold, all things have become new. Old is past. And it's not talking about just sinful stuff. It's talking about old has passed. Old has passed. And now you've been emancipated to be a son. And when you're a son, in this sense, you have the sense that you belong. And you also have the sense, because as he is, so are we in the earth, that you are seated in a position of authority. Changes your prayers from supplication to declaration. Change your prayers from supplication to declaration. Why are you busy as royalty supplicating? Why are you busy supplicating when he wants you declaring? Now, hear what I said. Hear what I didn't say. I didn't say don't be thankful. I didn't say any of those things. I said he does not want you operating out of a sense of obligation. And most of the church world does. And that's why we haven't become mature. Because you don't want to sit in his presence if he's always mad at you. That's why people are more likely to cozy up to their concept of the earthly Yeshua than they are to Yahweh. Which, by the way, puts you in a dangerous position because Yeshua... Wanted to join you to Yahweh. The theme of the Gospel of John is when he says to his disciples, I'm going to my God and your God, my Father and your Father. That's the theme. He's brought them to the point. He's resurrected now. He's not yet glorified on high, but he's been resurrected, which is a glory. And he says to the disciples, you know, after saying to Mary, he said, you can't hold on to me like this anymore because I'm not, I'm, I'm not the same. Everything's changed. And he says to the disciples, well, he says to her, go tell the disciples, I'm going to my God and your God. 
my father and your father. Which is what he meant, by the way, when he said, it is finished. Connected them. John 17, when he says, and he's praying for his disciples that they are protected, he said, and I don't pray for these alone. But for all who will believe in me through their word, that they shall be one as we are one. You and me, he's praying to the Father, you and me and I and them. You and me and I and them. This is what he prayed for. This concept of a dualistic thing, this concept of a dichotomy between you and Yahweh has to go if you're going to become mature. It doesn't belong. It doesn't belong. It gets in your way. Now, did I say stop being thankful? No. I'm saying quit doing what you do out of obligation. You're free. You are absolutely free. Some of, the, and, and some of the most challenging foe situations with Apostle Ball was when um, he had loaned people money. Because all of a sudden the relationship changes. Relationship changes. There are some, some guys that haven't even really recovered from that. The relationship changes. Why? Because all of a sudden your spiritual father becomes your uh, loan chart. Not that he was a loan chart, but that's what it feels like. And there's a lot of relationships in churches, the, the sons that set out that the kiss of death was when they loaned them money. Why? Because all of a sudden it, you become somebody's, you become somebody's uh, loan person. And now everything they do is out of a sense of obligation. And if you're not wise, then, then you remind them of that. And, and we cut off. We cut off the ability to, uh, to become something awesome in the earth. The indebted gathered around uh, David, King David, but uh, his character was such that he was able to change them into becoming mighty men. But part of that was that that sense of indebtedness had to go, and the sense of belonging to him had to stay. Hebrews chapter 10. Are you hearing that today? Yes. Remember I said I'm recruiting. I'm recruiting you. Okay, book of Hebrews starts off by saying that Yahweh in these last days has spoken to us through Yeshua, goes into one of the heresies at the time where people were worshiping angels, and he begins to talk about how Yeshua is better than the angels, and uh, then he begins to talk about the fact that Yahweh made promises of government to man. And Yeshua came to redeem us to that place of authority. Preach back to me. Yeshua came to redeem us to what? Did Yeshua come just to take you to heaven? No. He came to give you the authority to bring heaven to earth. Right? Yeshua came to redeem us so that we could bring heaven to earth. That's what the book of Hebrews says. He changed everything. Right? He changed everything. That's why it says the Father was in the one Son, bringing many sons to glory. And it was fitting for He who would bring all in all to make His Son perfect through sufferings. In other words, Yeshua suffered, but suffering wasn't just what people did to Him. It's like every time He wanted to do something and Yahweh said, no, I'm your Father, I would like you to do this, He always said yes. That's 
He always said yes. And so he became a priest, not after a Levitical order in which there was sacrifice. He became a priest after an order of someone that we don't know who their daddy was or who their mama was. Melchizedek. And that Melchizedekian priesthood is something that stands separate. And it's a big deal because this man is called to be a king priest after the order of Melchizedek. I'm called to be king priest after the order of Melchizedek. That is a big deal because that brings you into a place of glory. Because in our positions... We are portals. We are doorways. And we can say, well, I don't like that. It doesn't matter whether you like it or not. We didn't ask for it, it's, it's, but it's here. So I could deny it. You could deny it, but it's here. We didn't ask for it. It's here. So we are sent into the earth to become a portal for that king priest anointing to be made manifest. If you can receive that then you could enter into that door so that you take your seat <laughs> so much to say, so little time. You take your seat of authority, which, by the way, is also generational and geographical. The lineage, the seat of authority. And Yahweh can purge it, right? He can purge it. He can join, he can join you back to the last righteous person in your family line. You say, well, I come from a bunch of rascals. Yeah, but the, the fact that you're here is evidence that there was somebody there that wasn't a rascal. And we can leapfrog the rascals. <laughs> we can leapfrog the rascals <laughs> and become joined to that authority and that anointing. And you don't have to receive the junk. So um, you don't know my family. They were just horrible. Yeah, but there was one that wasn't. And Yahweh, Yahweh promised David, he said, because of the way that things have been between the two of us. Now, David did some horrible stuff. Adultery, murder, those are bad. <laughs> right? If you think of it, those are pretty bad ones. On the list of bad, that's right up there, both of them. <laughs> Adultery and murder. And yet Yahweh called him a man after his own heart. How's that work? <laughs> Through Yeshua, it works. But he said to him, because of the way you've been with me, you will always have a son in front of my face, before me. He said that to one of your relatives. You say, oh, you don't know my relatives. I don't need to. There was somebody that was righteous. There was somebody that was righteous. And don't let the unrighteousness of the rascals keep you from having the expectation. You've got a seat of authority. And in Christ, he's ready to bring you to it. And then you take it. And so in, when we're reestablishing the hearts of the fathers to the children, the hearts of the children to the fathers, so we go to a spiritual father, and he comes, he opens the doorway for us to take our place. We find that in him. We find that in him, and we find that in him. We're portals. We get into a seat of authority. Hebrews 10. For the law, the Levitical thing, 
well, before I, I, I'm there, but just don't forget it. Because Yeshua, Yeshua purges the heavenlies. <laughs> Yeshua purges the heavenlies. Because everything was falling, right? Everything was falling. And so Yeshua, in what he did, his obedience, and never forget that not only did he die for you, he lived for you. A lot of people are like, yeah, I know he died for my sins. Yeah, but he lived for your righteousness. And fancy theological word, it's called imputed. You were, just as, as he, uh, his death represented your, uh, your, what you deserved, you know, he paid the price for that. And when he was resurrected, he left all your sins behind. Where did he leave them? He left them behind? Yeah. I said he left them behind? He said, I wasn't even alive yet. He left them behind? Yeah. He left them in the ground, the buried? Yeah. When, fancy theological word, imputed, his righteousness was imputed to you. It's given to you. Yeah. Yahweh looks and he sees the righteousness of Yeshua in you, Amen. which is not bad. Right. It's amazing. Right. It's wonderful. You don't have to have performance anxiety anymore. It's over. That's over. That's over. It's done. The price has been paid. You're in a position now, like that little song said at the beginning, where we can build. The, the, the four craftsmen in Zechariah. He sees the craftsmen. And, and right before that, there was a question of a horseman going out into all the world. He said, what, what do these come to do? He said, they're checking out the whole world to see what's going on with the nations. And they come back and they give a report. They say, yeah, everything's good. The nations are all really happy. They're at peace. And then the angel of Yahweh gets mad. How long? How long can these enemies of Yahweh be at peace? A little bit longer. Just a little bit longer. The yeah, the uh, elders in the book of Revelation do the same thing. How long? How long? So rest a little bit longer. You think that would be a good word, right? They're at peace. It's a bad word. Why? Because it means that the enemies of Yahweh are at peace. And so then there's four craftsmen. He said, what are these four craftsmen coming to do? He said, do you know what these are? If Yahweh asks you, what, do you know what these are? Probably just say no. Be like Ezekiel. Lord, thou knowest. <laughs> Best answer. Lord, thou knowest. Because he really doesn't want your opinion. He's, te- he's, uh, it's, he's preaching. He's, hypoth- he's giving a hypothetical. <laughs> you what these have come to do? No. These are the craftsmen. They're coming to build. We had a discussion. We had a discussion the other day. If we're not building something with the, with the other sons of, a, of Apostle Paul, I'll, I'll find people that want to build and manifest. Because I want to build something that will shake the earth because everything that can be shaken will be shaken so that that which cannot be shaken will remain. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory. 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 We missed. Hey, 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 come back. We missed. We missed. I hate to miss on these things. Glory. 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 We didn't miss. It just didn't make a smack. Glory. Hey, Larry. How you doing, man? 
Glory! Hebrews 10. I'm about to finish. For the law having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year make those who approach perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered. For the worshipers once purified would have had no more consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year. It is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Therefore, when he came into the world, meaning Yeshua, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a, a body you have prepared for me. And burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you had no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I've come. In the volume of the book, it is written of me to do your will, O Elohim, O God, O Mighty One. We, by religion, were sold a bill of goods. And they told us it was all about getting clean, cleaning ourselves up. Because they didn't know any better. And because the Antichrist spirit was active. The pro, uh, John the Apostle makes this statement. He said, you've heard that Antichrist is coming. He said, even now I tell you there are Antichrists among you. They were with us, but they were not of us. So they went out from us. Where else would the Antichrist spirit be but in the church? And when it's in the church, you know what it says? It says this. You clean yourself up. You're guilty. You, I mean, you could be saved. I was talking about that one woman that went to that church named Victory. And she said that uh, she went down the, one day, she went down front, and they all prayed for her, and she felt so good, so cleansed. Everybody prayed for her, gathered around her, you know, as old-time Pentecostal churches are known to do. And they prayed, and she was feeling so good and so cleansed and stuff like that. And she went back to the Sunday night service, and the woman said, who was preaching, said, there's somebody who needs to be up here repenting for her sins. And she said, I didn't think that, that, should, that she should have said that. And I said to her, as I laughed, when she was wanting me to be mad, <clears throat> I said, you didn't think you'd, back, you'd backslidden that much <laughs> in just an afternoon. <laughs> and that's what we've done to people. That's what we've done to people. We've told, we've told them, we've told them you're, you're a loser, you're a sinner, you're all these things. And, and they, whether we like it or not, this is what they think. That this is what they've heard. And I'm telling you, it's not true. In Christ, you're a new creation, and you have a seat of authority. And, 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 and a while back, I said to my people, and it was really cold. It was like January, 14 below. And um, I said, we're going to have a burn barrel. We're going to have a burn barrel, and what I want you to do is I want you to write down everything that you, that you say, that you catch yourself saying that is against the truth of what you know has happened to you in Yeshua. Write it down. I said, I don't, I'm not going to read it, but write it down. And so they did. And uh, so then we had this burn barrel in our parking lot. And it was 14 below. It was really cold. And everybody's like, getting next. And uh, we burned them. And then he said, uh, and it was awesome. And people had witchcraft books and things like that that they burned. And um, one young, never mind, <laughs> some ugly things that needed to be burned. <laughs> they got burned, too. And... Um, and so that was awesome. And then I said, the Holy Spirit said, tell them this. Tell them this. 
tell them that uh, now we're going to do their thoughts. Anything that you catch yourself thinking that's not true to Yahweh, because a man thinks of his heart, so is he, right? So anything that you, think, that you catch yourself thinking, I want you to write those things down. And we did. We wrote those things down. And it was still cold, not 14 below, but pretty cold in January. And uh, so we took those and we burnt those. And then he said to this, now this is the part I want you to get. He said, tell them that if they have sincerely done these things, that they have sanctified their imagination. So now, now their imagination is able to conceive. And therefore give birth to the word of the Lord in their lives. Free, absent of sin consciousness. I'm recruiting. I'm recruiting you to become like that. I want, I want your imagination to be, to be the, the womb of Yahweh's word. Conception point of his word so they can be birthed through you as part of what we're doing as master craftsmen who've come to build. Would you stand, please? I'll pray, and then we're done. Father, <clears throat> I lift my voice over this people today, and uh, oh, what a joy to be with them, to be here. And uh, yeah, you, you do all things well. You do all things well. You do all things well. I bless this house. In this, la in this land of so much, so much going on, you have elected in your wisdom to open up a portal yes. and say, this, my government shall be. To open up that portal, which has become a portal to the world for the very thing I'm talking about. Unencumbered, unindebted people. Your sons and daughters delighting in you, manifesting your purpose, manifesting your will to the point that it will be said the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ. I bless this word to blossom and bloom in this house in ways that are beyond anything that they've even known. Not that they were in a bad position. They're not. They've been in a good position. But that it will be beyond anything that they've even known. Beyond all that they can think or even imagine. In the name of Yeshua. Amen.